All right. Well, good morning or good afternoon, as the case may be, depending on uh, when you are tuning in to this, the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, We hope that you are having a good post-Thanksgiving period out there. We hope that you have emerged off of those couches as we have um, got those sweatpants off and got back out there to work as we have tried to do begrudgingly here in this uh, post-Thanksgiving little season that we're in. Uh, We we hope that you're doing good out there wherever you may be, from Bucksnort, Tennessee to Buckeye, Arizona. And we thank you for tuning in uh, and welcome you to this, the Cotton Companion Podcast, the 36th episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, My name is Beck Barnes. As always, uh, I am the publisher and editor here at Cotton Grower. And as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Senior Editor and my partner in crime, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Good afternoon or good morning, Beck, and and, uh, and hello to everyone out there who's listening. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we are going to get started here momentarily. The first thing we do uh, is we want to thank our sponsor, the fine folks at Phytogen. We'll hear from them very briefly here. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Okay, so we know that uh, so many of you are either wrapped up or are in the midst of wrapping up your harvest. We know it's been a wet one out there, a wet harvest time for uh, many of you, so we hope that you are able to get out there and get that crop uh, harvested and and, uh, to the gin very soon. Uh, If you are done already, uh, we hope if you put away, we we, uh, hope that you are enjoying some downtime, maybe getting some travel in, maybe uh, getting out there to those malls, God forbid, or somewhere else as you put on your Santa Claus hat and look for the holiday season. Uh, We hope you're enjoying yourself, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're in the deer woods already. Uh, We've got a great episode in store for you uh, today. We are going to be reviewing, as we always do, some of the hard news that has come out uh, for the ag industry over the past couple of weeks since we last came to you. We'll do that before we dive into our market moments segment, where Jim here has uh, had a lengthy discussion with our friend Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Not too lengthy. I think it's about 10 minutes. Uh, Dr. Cleveland, as most of you uh, most likely know, is a professor emeritus of economics at Mississippi State University. He's a longtime extension cotton market analyst and a longtime friend to Cotton Grower Magazine, and we thank him for joining us. Uh, after we get done with that interview, we're going to spend some. We're going to uh, do our one big thing segment. It's the last sort of newsy. Actually, it's a human interest item that we are going to be talking about this afternoon about a story that came across actually my Twitter feed out of West Texas. That that is a kind of a heartwarming story. We'll get you in a good mood as we get into the holiday season. It's got a lot of holiday spirit to it. But I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. We are going to dive right in with Jim leading us in the news discussion. Jim, I think the first thing you wanted to talk about is some late-breaking and encouraging news about this farm bill, of all things, under the sun to be popping up here in late November. That's absolutely correct, Beck. And it, it seems like all, we had a lot of discussion about farm bill earlier this year when things uh, things were moving. Uh, both the House and, and the Senate passed their own versions of the, the farm legislation. Uh, I believe in July then, uh, the committee, uh, those those two pieces of, of legislation went into committee to start hammering out the differences and and see if we could come up with uh, with a farm bill. Uh, in because of 
midterm elections and other factors going on in, in Washington and throughout the country, things just kind of got a little bit off track or at least sort of moved into the background a little bit. And we haven't heard a whole lot about it since. But now that the elections are over, uh, everything's been settled, the current lame duck Congress is working to try to finalize some key pieces of legislation before the new Congress arrives in January. And one of those is the 2018 Farm Bill. Now, as we've heard over the last couple months, there have been some fairly contentious differences between the House and Senate versions and compromises in committee didn't seem to be making much progress. But yesterday, in a joint statement, that's November 29th, in a joint statement issued from the House and Senate Ag Committee, Chairman Mike Conaway from the House and Pat Roberts from the Senate, and Ranking Members Colin Peterson from the House and Debbie Stabenow from, from the Senate, said they have reached an agreement in principle on the 2018 Farm Bill. And here's basically the statement. It's very short and simple. But basically, I'm quoting this, we're pleased to announce that we've reached an agreement in principle on the 2018 Farm Bill. We're working to finalize legal and report language as well as CBO scores, but we still have more work to do. We are committed to delivering a new Farm Bill to America as quickly as possible. Now, obviously, that's hopeful, hopeful language at this point. There are now, after this statement yesterday, there are some, some speculation in the market that this could come, come to an end, could move to uh, a final agreement and head to the back into Congress for a vote uh, sometime very quickly. And I've heard some forecasts today saying, you know, it could be two to four days. Some saying it could be certainly within the next week, week and a half. Here's hoping we can keep seeing that positive movement toward the end of the congressional session. So I think you mentioned Farm Bill a little bit in, in our in our December issue, which yeah. is which is now getting ready to hit mailboxes. <laughs> I was just going to say that's, uh, you, you will know, uh, listeners, that this news caught us off guard because we went to the press last week with our December issue. We write these issues about a month in advance. And I wrote a column that mentioned, boy, you know, I wish Congress would get you know get off their rear ends and and uh, get this farm bill done and then before it hits your mailboxes they may have the farm bill done so who comes out with egg on their face me uh, so but in but, this but in this case that's okay yeah that's okay yeah, egg I'd be happy I would be happy to look out of touch because you know we want that hay in the barn as badly as y'all do especially in this moment where cotton has mm-hmm. come back under title one protection and you just don't know you know you want to lock that type of stuff in you want to uh, strike, well, not strike while the iron's hot. I'm, I'm abusing all of my analogies here, but y'all understand what I'm saying. We, we want to get this farm bill done while cotton is in good standing. Happy about that. Happy about this news mm-hmm. item in general. Who knew that the end of the midterm election season would bring us not only an end to all the god-awful, mind-numbing political commercials that come on your TV at every commercial break, uh, but also uh, renewed efforts on the farm bill. So good news all around there. And we hope that here when we come back with uh, with episode 37 here within the next uh, next week, week and a half, that we'll have more more good news to report on that. Maybe so. So, so please stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll cover this as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, moving ahead, uh, just before Thanksgiving, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue uh, announced the appointment of eight members eight alternate members and two advisors, all who are going to serve three-year terms on the Cotton Board, uh, which in, and, and that term, those terms end uh, December 31st of 2021. So uh, just a quick list here. Members who have been reappointed to the Cotton Board are Adam Hatley out of Arizona, 
Rajiv Malik, and I hope I'm not butchering these names too much, from California, George Warbington from Georgia, Sonia Chapman out of New Jersey, Crystal Button from New York, and Julie Davis Holiday, Randy Braden, and Jeffrey Posey, all from Texas. Uh, reappointed as alternate members are Jacqueline Dixon Ford out of Georgia and Douglas Guiley, I believe is the way it's pronounced, from New York. If not Douglas, I apologize. Uh, newly appointed alternate members, Ava Alceda, and I, again, if I mispronounce that, I'm, I apologize, uh, out of Arizona, Patricia Lesser out of California, Charles Shepard from Florida, and Stephen Olson, Jason French, and Brett Schneiers, all from Texas. Uh, Gregory Bridgeforth out of Alabama and Karen Kylo from Nevada will serve as the appointed advisors to the Cotton Board for the next three years. So congratulations to all of the appointees. We look forward to your service to U.S. Cotton, uh, certainly over the next three years. Yeah, congrats to all of those folks, especially uh, I believe I heard a Schneers and a Posey in there from Texas, and I would bet I know those folks we've had. And a holiday. And uh, did we, who? Uh, Julie. Is that Sean's? Yes, it is. Some relation to Sean? Uh, would be his uh, his lovely spouse. Okay, awesome. Well, congrats to all of the friends of Cotton Grower Magazine who are included on that list. I know uh, personally that y'all will uh, serve the cotton industry well. So, well done all around. It is the time of year where we will uh, we start getting information on new cotton varieties that companies are going to be bringing to market uh, for 2019. And the first group really out of, uh, out of the shoot at this point uh, are our friends at BASF who uh, back uh, about a week and a half ago announced that they're going to be introducing five new varieties uh, for next year. Two of those will be FiberMax varieties and three of those will be Stoneville varieties. And just very briefly, the FiberMax varieties, uh, FiberMax 2498 GLT provides excellent yield potential, it's medium maturity, has bacterial blight resistance and strong tolerance to verticillium wilt. Uh, it's going to be adapted to the high plains, rolling plains, Oklahoma, South Texas, and East Texas. Uh, the second FiberMax variety, which would be FiberMax 2574 GLT, uh, is a medium maturity variety that really fits dry land production areas on the rolling plains. Uh, again, outstanding fiber and yield potential, bacterial blight resistance, and verticillium wilt tolerance. Uh, Stoneville, uh, those varieties, uh, you look for uh, Stoneville 5122 GLT. Uh, that's going to be a widely adapted variety for the Mid-Atlantic, Southeast, Delta, East Texas, Northern Rolling Plains, and Oklahoma. So very wide distribution on that adaptability. Uh, it fits early to mid-maturity areas, uh, good early season vigor, good tolerance to verticillium wilt, and outstanding yield potential and fiber quality. Uh, Stoneville 5471 GLTP uh, is the variety that offers the three gene insect protection from Twinlink Plus. Uh, that one is really going to fit, uh, again, wide adaptability from South Texas all the way up to Virginia. And finally, Stoneville 5818 GLT, a smooth leaf variety that fits irrigated and dry land acres in the mid-Atlantic southeast. South Delta and South Texas. Really good early season vigor, good yield potential and, and, uh, and solid quality. So um, that's, that's the first, first list of, uh, of brand new varieties coming out for, for next year. Obviously, if, you have some, if you're interested in any of these and have any questions, we certainly encourage you to talk with your BASF representative 
or go to either the Stoneville or Fibermax websites. Yeah, and and to be sure, all of the um, seed companies, that's the nature of our our world these days. As uh, our listeners no doubt know, these seed companies do a great job of introducing new uh, options, new variety options every year, bringing new ones to market. So we will have our eyes on uh, the other seed companies when they make their variety announcements as well. I I do want to note I spoke with um, Stephen Nichols, a longtime agronomist who has uh, sort of head agronomist that has shepherded these two brands, Stoneville and Fibermax, uh, over the years, and talked to him back in September or October. He told me that they do have, uh, they watched this year, some Extend Flex varieties uh, that will be, they will be introducing potentially as soon as 2020 uh, under the Fibermax or Stoneville seed brand names. So, you know, that's one thing to keep an eye on. I know those two brands have a lot of fans out there because of their yield and the fiber quality uh, uh, advancements that those two brands have brought to market over the years. So they will have some new trait technology integrated within those two brands uh, here soon. So keep an eye out for those. Always good news. Uh, I believe that's all we had as far as news items for now, Jim. So I want to thank you for leading us there. Uh, we want to now bring you guys a message from our sponsors, Phytogen. Our cotton grower custom content editor, Robin Sichtberg, had a chance recently to sit down with one of the Phytogen cotton development specialists, uh, our old friend from Tennessee, Mr. Chris Main. And so we're happy to hear from the two of them right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sittberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest on the program today is Chris Main, cotton development specialist with Phytogen. Chris, it's really good to have you on the program again. Thanks, Robin. It's good to be back. On the last episode, we talked about the benefits of the Phytogen W3FE varieties and the Enlist cotton trait. I'd like to continue that conversation, and I thought we could begin by talking about the 2018 season. How do you think cotton producers responded to the Enlist weed control system this year? Producers across the cotton belt had excellent results um, with the Enlist system and phytogen varieties in 2017. That led to a uh, three times more acres of phytogen varieties with the Enlist trait being planted in 2018. Additionally, we saw about 1.5 million acres of Enlist varieties treated with either Enlist 1 or Enlist Duo in 2018. In my area, growers had excellent weed control, um, especially of our tough-to-control weeds um, and our glyphosate-resistant weeds like Palmer amaranth and horseweed. You mentioned how important it is for growers to follow the Enlist herbicide labels. What do they especially need to keep in mind? Robin, there are a couple things that applicators need to keep in mind when spraying any herbicide. First, you know, what is around your field? Uh, you know, being able to take note and know what uh, crops are nearby are important so that you're not spraying when there's a susceptible crop downwind. We have to follow items on the label, such as limits on wind speed, making sure that we're using the right nozzle type and that we have the boom height correct as we go across the field to prevent off-target movements. Additionally, Enlist One and Enlist Duo have qualified tank mix partners, and you can find that information at enlisttankmix.com. Finally, important to our other crops that we're growing on our farm is that we do a triple rinse clean-out after we spray an Enlist herbicide. What are your suggestions for growers as they start to plan for their weed control next year? There are a number of important things to remember uh, whenever you're trying to plan out an effective 
weed control program. The first of which is you've got to have a program in place that includes both pre-emergence and post-emergence residual herbicides. We have to make sure that we're getting tank mix partners in the tank that complement um, Enlist One or Enlist Duo. Also, um, by doing a good job of starting clean in the spring, maintaining the field weed-free throughout the growing season, uh, we are able to minimize the seed bank that overwinters in the field, and that helps us with our weed control program the following year. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you being on the program today. And if growers are looking for more information, they can go to phytogen.com or enlist.com. So very good. Uh, we want to thank you, Robin and Phytogen, Dr. Chris Main, for that. Uh, we Now we... Uh, we want to keep this thing rolling here. We are going to, uh, on the back end of that custom interview, we want to bring you another interview that we have recently conducted. This one is part of our Market Minute uh, segment, which we do in each episode of the Cotton Companion, where we generally want to bring in a respected uh, market analyst to tell us what's going on out there in the cotton market, let you know what is impacting uh, the, the bulls or the bears and the price of cotton. Uh, in this uh, in this season, and so to that end, Jim sat down this morning, I believe, and had a good talk with Dr. O. A. Cleveland. Uh, he tells me they they spoke about sort of uh, the market stabilizing at the moment, but also Dr. Cleveland let uh, let us know if we can expect any surprises uh, in the near term as we are watching the market. So we will pause here and bring you that interview right now. Welcome to the Cotton Companions Market Minute feature. Today we're welcome back Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University. O.A., thanks again for joining us, and, and no, knowing you and me and our discussions, I don't think we can keep this to a minute. What do you think? <laughs> well, cotton always deserves more than a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I usually am, and you usually do correct me, uh, market seems to have been relatively calm over the last couple of weeks. Uh, looks like prices have moved up a bit, but has some of the volatility of the past that we've seen over the past month or so kind of calmed down a little bit? Well, it has to some degree. At the same time, uh, we've seen some pre-October lows. We've back near the highs in the range, so we've covered the whole range from around 75 cents to up to almost 80 cents, but that's Again, at the same time, we're not seeing so many triple-digit days, up 100 points, up 120 points one day, down 160 points the next day. The range trading that we're seeing is more or less plus or minus 50 or 60 or so. So in that regard, it has calmed down a bit. We moved uh, into first notice day, and now we're in the delivery period for uh, the December contract. And it's not been surprising. It's not. Uh, it's supported the market in the fact that it's been able to hold 75, 76 cents, and that was something we needed to hold. So we still have a, a decent market to work with. We've got a good base if we can just build our demand a little bit. Okay. Um, I know that uh, there are still growers in the field uh, trying to get uh, get their crop out after after storms, after rain, after cold temperatures, even a little snow in certain areas. Uh, where are we standing right now regarding harvest, like particularly in the, in the southeast and the southwest? And what can growers in the market kind of expect from the cotton that's that's this late coming out of the field? Well, this has been one of the slowest or the furthest behind, if I can say it that way, crops we've had in a long time. And most of it has been moisture-related or storm-related. 
and that's just pushed us back. We just can't quite catch up to the average. But looking at the Mid-South, it's pretty much done. And we've still got a lot of uh, round bales. I mean, a few modules out in the field, but mm-hmm. uh, we're working on those. Believe it or not, uh, would have thought I'd never said this 10 years ago, we're starting to creep into some, some gen problems with respect to gen size, gen equipment, uh, ginning capacity specifically. We, we could use at least one more gen and two more gens uh, in, in spaces uh, to pick up some mid-south cotton. Uh, so we, we have some limitations there. Of course, we have some limitations on harvesting now, too, so we're going to have to make sure we can find another picker to shed and see to, to, to get everything out looking down the road. But this year, we're pretty much done. Southeast is has made excellent progress, but both of those locations are still wet. Uh, we'll continue ginning cotton in Mississippi up through uh, the first of the year. Through the Mid-South, we'll continue to, to, to gin cotton through the first of the year. Uh, more specifically, out, of course, California, Arizona, uh, but that, uh, that, that's done and gone for the most part. The uh, West Texas situation, they'll still be gin cotton until March. So what that says is gin cotton that long. We're still a bit up in the air as to what the crop size is going to be for storm-proof varieties, but there's been just such a mess in trying to harvest that. And it's unfortunate, particularly for small acreage in Kansas, because it had some awfully good quality coming off of it. And uh, it was a, a barn burner of a crop. And again, not a lot of acreage in the scheme of things. More important crop out in Texas, the rolling plains and, and the uh, high plains. It's just, uh, uh, it's just been hard to get out. And we're still facing that problem. And there's a lot of four more months of ginning, at least. Okay. Great. Um, how are exports holding up uh, since the last uh, World Supply Demand Report? Well, we've actually had probably two of the best uh, months, export, excuse me, export weeks here in the last month. But even at that, they, they were not what we would typically call stellar, stellar weeks. We're getting a little bit of interest uh, that we hadn't seen a month ago or certainly two months ago. So we're getting a little bit more export activity. It's not a, it's not, uh, it's not bursting at the seams, unfortunately. Again, much of this is tariff-related. Uh, not only China, but at the same time, many uh, countries, many mills are sitting back, going hand to mouth, and just waiting to see what's going to happen to this market when this tariff breaks. And of course, nobody knows when that is. Everybody wants to think it's going to be tomorrow, or the next day, but there's a certainly a number of people that uh, will say, oh, no, it'll go six, eight more months. It, and the, the reality is we don't know. It could be over tomorrow. It could be another year. So it just depends on how that negotiation goes. And it, it does it does keep a cap on this market, at least for now. The international merchants, many of whom are located here in the United States, they're not conscious, not to downgrade, to downplay them. They're not so concerned about selling U.S. cotton. They have been typically selling and delivering U.S. cotton, but now they're selling and delivering Australian, uh, to the extent they have it, that crop's about sold out. Uh, Brazilian, Argentine, it's wherever they can get the cotton. But it means that uh, U.S. cotton is still sitting in the warehouse. As we move down about three more months, probably that cotton's going to find a demand. But at the same time, we're very concerned that we're starting to see a bill slow down in 
China, however, we've seen a huge dumping of polyester supplies in Vietnam uh, and in Asia, through, throughout Asia, exactly, uh, specifically. And that because of that, we've seen a lot of spinning mills beginning to spend much more and more polyester. There's a world of polyester yarn going into China right now. Uh, and that's picking off some of the good cotton business that we had. But at the same time, we, we've just got to work for, toward our demand. And at these price levels, that demand should be able to increase somewhat. Uh, if there is a blessing, and uh, this is a thing you need to find that calls something a blessing, the poor quality that we'll harvest for the rest of the year and have been harvesting for a month now, that cotton, unfortunately, don't go at fire sale prices, and mills historically are big buyers when they find this discounted cotton. Uh, it's like cheap wine. If you get it cheap enough, uh, even I'll drink it. Uh, so it, it's just, uh, uh, it, 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 it's going to tend to, tend to move our low grades, uh, the, the small quantity of high grades that won't support this market, and I think we're going to be able to hold where we are and I know the next uh, world USDA's next world supply demand report's coming out December 11th, and and once that's out, I'm sure we'll be back in touch with you to talk talk about some of that. But uh, do you anticipate any possible surprises for the market in that report, or are we going to be looking at sort of the same thing through the end of, of this calendar year and into early 2019? I would like to think that we would probably see US the U.S. crop drop a couple of hundred thousand bales, the Indian crop drop about a half a million. Sales. That's what I tend to be seeing. That's what I tend to be picking up. But I, what I really, really think the USDA numbers are going to show, and of course that's what we're seeing at. I don't know that there'll be much change in USDA numbers. I think those, those December numbers are going to very well mirror uh, the November crop report. We might see a little bit smaller consumption uh, in, uh, in, the, in the December supply demand report. I don't. USDA will lower uh, exports. I think they'll keep them where they are. Uh, and again, I don't see anything in the report that's going to shock the market. Okay. Well, away our time. Even though we were limited to a minute, we've we've certainly have blown past that as as usual. And as always, we thank you for your time and input, and look forward to visiting with you again real soon. Thank you, and give that gift of cotton today. Absolutely. We'll be back. With, we'll be back with more of the Cotton Companion. Okay, uh, well, we appreciate, uh, Jim, I thank you for that. We also appreciate Dr. O.A. Cleveland for joining us. He's, he's always been such a great friend to us. And uh, finally, the last thing that we want to bring you guys is a story that uh, someone brought to my attention on Twitter, of all places, uh, over the past week. A story that uh, CNN did, but I understand a local news outlet out there in West Texas also first reported on this story that uh, Jim tells me about. Um it's a story, uh, there's a version of this story that we hear uh, almost every year due to the nature of the quality of people who are in this industry, the quality of people who farm cotton out in this country. And it's about a grower uh, out there in West Texas, t- Texas, excuse me, who came down with uh, an illness, Jim, and, and you can take it away from there and, and let us know what okay. happened. Okay, obviously it's, uh, and one thing about it, it's coincidentally there are two similar stories. Yeah. out of that West Texas area, uh, both, both of which broke this week, early this week, certainly right after Thanksgiving. 
that really do reaffirm the goodness in humanity and, and the strong kinship uh, that exists within the cotton industry. First story, and the one that, that Beck was really alluding to, uh, is a gentleman named Greg Bishop. Uh, Greg lives in Floyd County, northeast of Lubbock. Uh, he was diagnosed with leukemia in September and is currently undergoing treatment. Uh, so on because of that, uh, on Monday, November 26th, a group of neighboring farmers showed up with 20 cotton strippers and all the other equipment needed to harvest Bishop's cotton this year. And according to news reports, and, and Beck said it was even picked up by CNN, they offered so much help that some people uh, who were there to help actually had to be turned away or, or handed a, uh, you know, another assignment. Aaron Hendricks, who is the general manager of the Floydata Co-op Gins, uh, was quoted in the article. He says he's known Bishop for about 25 years says he's a respected member of the community, and that about, really and truly about 80 or 90 people came to help with the harvest, and that a local wow. that a local chemical business also brought in hamburgers to feed everybody. So in addition would, to all... I would love to know which chemical business that is, by the way, so that I could give them a shout-out. Yeah. I guess it doesn't say in that It doesn't story. say, but but I'm sure it's some, you know, they know who they are. So shout-out to you. you yeah. Know, that was uh, what a gr- what a great thing to do. In addition to the machinery... You had farmers out there directing traffic. They were putting tarps on the bales. They were clearing tumbleweeds that had blown into the fields. Uh, some other businesses supplied fuel and service trucks in case any of the vehicles broke down. So it was really a you know a, a pretty monumental effort out there. Uh, Robert Nixon, who's one of the growers who helped organize the effort, said really it was just overwhelming how many people came to help. That they started, they hit the fields about 10 in the morning and we're finished with the entire harvest just before 3 p.m. So basically that's what, 11, you know, five, six hours? Yeah, yeah, how, how great, how great are those folks? Absolutely. Now, at the same time, a bit further south, growers down in the La Mesa area stepped up to harvest the cotton crop uh, of a gentleman named E. Lee Harris, uh, who was untimely who, who died an untimely death this year in a motorcycle accident. Uh, so when the crop was ready to harvest there, more than a dozen area farmers came together to get that job, job done for the Harris family, even if it meant, and it usually did in this case, taking a break from their own crops to make sure this one was done first. Uh, Elaine Harris, who is the mother of, uh, of E. Lee Harris, basically said they gave their time, their equipment, it's something you can't even wrap your mind around. She said it's almost unbelievable. Uh, Tracy Berkelbach, who's one of the area farmers who volunteered for this, I think put it, you know, stated the reasons behind it most succinctly in this, basically saying, in a situation like this, it's a family type thing. Everybody gets together and tries to help one another out. So kudos to, uh, to the growers and volunteers out in the West Texas area uh, for their time and their efforts and their their humanity in in helping these two farm families uh, get their crop out of the field and uh, and finish out the year. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I obviously echo what Jim says. The great, wonderful people out there in West Texas. But to be sure, we hear a variation of that story quite often absolutely. in this industry, and it's about. Um, Rural country folks being good neighbors, being good-hearted people, and so uh, mercifully, uh, you know, we hear about it a lot, and it never gets old. 
So, all right, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, We want to thank Dr. Cleveland once again for his time. He has always been a friend to the farmers, both in Mississippi and uh, uh, beyond out there in the Cotton Belt, and uh, also a great friend to Cotton Grower Magazine. So thank you, Dr. Cleveland. Once again, we thank our sponsor, Phytogen, for their support. And we thank you, dear listener, for uh, sincerely for joining us once again. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your buddies about this podcast. Y'all are our best uh, evangelizers out there. Uh, you know, if your friend hears from us that we're great, it's just one more uh, advertisement. But if he hears from you, his trusted friend, that you get valuable information from our podcast, well, that, that uh, does us a great big favor. So we would appreciate you telling your friends about us. Now, once you do that, and they, they may say, uh, how do I get to that podcast? How do I listen to it? You can tell them there's three easy ways to go about that. The first is to simply go to cottongrower.com, add a forward slash companion to that URL such that it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion. And there you will come to a landing page which features all 36 now of our uh, episodes that we've done over the past couple of years. The second way is to subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you have an Apple device, you will know that you have a um, a podcast app on that phone or that tablet. Go there. Uh, You can can search for the Cotton Companion podcast in the search bar there on iTunes, and uh, you should find us. You should find our uh, nice-looking logo there. Subscribe to our podcast. That way you get notified the second that we put out a new episode. And uh, if you would, go ahead and leave us a rating. Let us know how you think we're doing. We welcome that feedback. The third way, in my opinion, the best way to be sure you receive each installment of The Cotton Companion is to sign up for our our weekly e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack the Cotton Grower e-newsletter with all of the relevant news of the day. And those things will hit your mailbox, uh, email inbox, every Tuesday morning like clockwork. Uh, You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. And there it's very uh, user-friendly to show you how to sign up for that uh, email newsletter. Doesn't cost you a thing, by the way. Uh, So we also want to make sure that you are following us on social media. We are Cotton Grower Mag, at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are uh, enjoying our latest issue. That would be the November issue. November's out now. December's yeah, November's coming. Yeah, December's okay. on its way. November's out. Um, so, so we hope that you are enjoying that. Be on the lookout for December, which will be hitting your mailbox in a little over a week. Uh, for now, um, uh, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, we want to wish you and your farm and family all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com.